0: beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination, as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. Talk about our hometown. Is a Mound native. He comes from a family with long Mound connections and and very high standing in the community. And in May 2021, I was a Mound native for 10 years. So it felt this was this is a good time to start talking a little bit about Mound. I've made the mistake of doing a Kasani episode before even talking about my hometown. So this is this episode's out there to fix it. He's a professional guide who's been running a business since 2011, so almost 10 years now, doing local activities and, and booking ex- local experiences for people who are coming through Maon, whether it's on the river or horse riding through the bush. And it gives me great pleasure to have Moa Manuela join me today to talk about Maon. Welcome, welcome Moa.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So, Moa, let's start by talking a little bit about your family and childhood in Maung and, and what Maung means for you as, as somebody who from what I can gather is proudly Batawana
1: Great, growing up in Maung I think we were one of the few lucky ones and uh, for me thinking about it now and looking at it now and the times we are in and back then when we were growing up um, it's a privilege uh, I would say, I mean it's a uh, Maung, it's well situated um, and uh, you know, it's a tourism hub, a tourism capital uh, the bushes is just right next door, and I think one of my fond memories growing up was being able to go out into the wild, and we did all kinds of things that boys will do, will go out into the wild and look for birds and, you know, look for frogs and all kinds of things, and we're just fascinated with what was around us. We didn't have, obviously, a lot of toys, and uh, so, yeah, we we were always out in the woods and, and playing and and we were raised by the community. I think that's one interesting thing, that the community had a role in raising every child that was growing up. So that was quite a privilege.
0: And when you're talking about your childhood, this was in Maon itself. You weren't in outlying areas. You were, you were living in Maon.
1: We grew up in Mao. I, Of course, would as a young Motswana child, would go out to the cattle <laughs> post. We had a cattle post. About 22 k's for Mao, uh, where we, my family was farming and rearing cattle and goats. And then, of course, we had other cattle posts in the Sharabe area, which is more boreholes. I mean, there was more mm-hmm. communal river fed uh, kind of uh, farming. We would have bohols also, we'd go out there. and Of course, there were lions, leopards, so it was much wilder.
0: And at that point, when you were a child here, what was mum like?
1: Mine was very rural, um, you know, believe me or not, when we were growing up, we didn't even have these corrugated iron houses or brick moulded houses, we were still living out in those mud houses and fish, and then uh, one thing that was common around was that uh, the reeds, the thaka, most homes, homesteads were uh, built with that, uh, either the walls or what you call the Lapa area. Mm. So we grew up in that. And, and that's what
0: Maung means, doesn't it? It yeah, means place of the reeds. Place
1: of reeds. Um, so, yeah, it was really fascinating. There was a lot of that um, around. Even in the safari companies in those early days, they used a lot of the reeds to, to build camps. Uh, it was an abundant resource. And I think for me, it represented who, who we were and what Maung is all about.
0: Mm. And Maun, Maun was not always the capital of Land. When did it move to Mahon? When did Maun get established as the capital for the last time?
1: It was in 19... If I remember very well, 1926. Okay. That it moved from uh, Toteng uh, to here. It first started in Cao and then moved to Toteng. And then from there... They came up into the borough area, spent some time there, it was good farming. And then later on, they came down to Toteng. And hence it's called Toteng. Toteng, it's your sort of your old playground that mm. you used to live there and then you go back there. That's what Toteng means. Okay. I can't find the right English word for it. So uh, the tribe moved there, and of course, shortage of water, grazing. And I think also there was huge discussion amongst the tribe and the tribe leaders where the right capital would be. And uh, they moved back um, into the borough area and then slowly, slowly moved into Maung. And then the Kosi then felt, well, this is the place. And then they managed to convince the rest of the tribes. Man and then the tribe, that this is it's where we're going to gonna set our capital there. Yeah.
0: And which part of Maun as it stands today is that heart of the old capital? Is it, for, it around the main Khotla, what we call that area? I mean, is that where Ma, what was Maun was?
1: Definitely, yes. That is the, the central and the integral part of who Bataana was and where Maun was, everything was set up. And so everything spread out. Until that. today, I mean, everything that is done. Has to be at the Kotla, mm. being it any tribal matters, being it any, um, you know, government uh, related matters, everything is discussed at the Kotla, and of course, the paramount chief is the supreme ruler you'll see yes. of the whole area. I mean, everything, even if he's not there, but it has to be consulted through the different structures of the tribe. But everything is discussed and agreed at the Kotla, and that remains. That forever, that is the foundation of Mao. That is where the royal family, when they first established capital, that was there.
0: And your family have had years of being in service to to the Hosi and being part of that royal family. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what your ancestors' roles were as part of the Batawana Regiment? My
1: great-grandfather... Um, obviously he, he was one of the growing up here and with, I'm told he was a very hard working man and he was also committed to working for the community and the tribe. He was a leader himself. So he got involved with the royal family. He was one of the, uh, who was their chief at the time, uh, closest advisors. And of course, he was with other uh, regiments of that uh, So that's how he got involved. And of course, working with the, the royal family and being in charge of any other proceedings, advices. My grandfather, who is the uncle to my father, they were born from my grandfather's, my mother's, my grandmother's side. He was, mm-hmm. was the, the brother to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So he obviously went to school in South Africa, Tiger Kloof. So he came back, and obviously he, he, he also continued what his father was doing with the royal family. But he came in as a community leader. And he also went into politics. So, And what
0: decade are we talking about that he got into politics? As Botswana was gaining independence?
1: Yes, he was in the first parliament in 1965, and then obviously rolling over to the independence in 1966. And he held the position of member of parliament for Mount Chobe back then. Uh, there was no... I mean, it's many constituencies like this. So it was a huge area that he was covering from oh, Maung uh, into the Chobe area. He was MP from 1966 to 1989. That's when he um, left active okay. politics. So during that time, he got involved in a lot of developments in Maung in the early ages. And I think one of the things he has achieved, uh, in Maung was to get water from the river wash at the river, both laundry and ourselves and he fought so hard that there should be standpipes. Mm. They started communal and slowly slowly each home uh, were able to get running water and of course many other things um, Mm. that Mm. he fought for and stood for during his time as a member of parliament with other community leaders Mm. and of course serving uh, the royals as well as father was, he continued the legacy and you know it's not only them there's other relatives um, of my grandfather and my father that also were involved um, in the royal matters so yeah that, that continued over time I mean one of the things he, you know talking about tourism which is where we are he was instrumental and was part of the discussions of the formation of Moroni Game reserve at that early early days yeah
0: and that's such an interesting story because of the fact that we, we know the story that Chief's Island is named Chief's Island in honour of the fact that it was given to the nation as, by the chiefs. And as you say, so that whole formation of Naremi, um, that's such a fascinating story. So then you're raised here, obviously, as somebody who's intrinsically from Maon. Um, at the time, how many, when you were a child here, how many, how big was the village? I mean it was still very much a village back then, right? It was a
1: village, a very small village. We we knew everybody, we knew every family, um, because the last census, I think in the 90s, put Maung to about 30,000 people.
0: Okay, so yeah. So
1: that's how much it had grown. It grew mm. very slowly, and I think from from the 90s, with the official opening of the airport and more frequent flights coming into Mahong and tourism starting to open.
0: And act- improving the road access. Exactly, because it was around about
1: that time also. So that improved access into Maung and opened up Mm Maung to more settlers, more tourists. Mm -hmm. And of course, in in terms of infrastructure, I remember in the early days, people didn't know where Maung was. It was too far far away a place to come to. I mean, even some government employees, they say, you've been transferred to Maung. I say, oh, goodness, it's like I'm being...
0: Sent, sent to purgatory.
1: Yes, um, and there was no shops, no you know, road infrastructure, so yeah. Um, I think in the 90s, things started opening up, and Maun grew from there.
0: And when you look at Maun now, and you look back on Mao as it was in your childhood, what do you think are the biggest differences? How would you sort of explain what it used to be to somebody who only sees it now, and how would you explain what it is now to somebody who saw it in the 80s, for example? how to you has the town changed
1: it's huge um i'll tell you what i mean, like i said for us living back then is a privilege and of course now there's uh, other exciting new things but you know we used to walk a lot I mean, There are not taxis at the time we walked between family homes and friends walked to school walked to the river to go and play you know, we, we, we did a lot of walking and it was a lot of sand. And in the, the summer it was it was so hot. I remember the one time we went. Uh just past the airport there. We just went to a dog's hunting and we didn't have shoes. We just ran around with no shoes and it got so hot and we had to cut those uh, cut boxes and try and make shoes. <laughs> it <was> so <laughs> I think hot. The feet. so it's, it's some of those things mm-hmm. I think we're creative, innovative. And we we just enjoyed it yeah, as it was. Um, very few shops to shop from, and we didn't fuss about clothing. You know, we used to get our decent clothes every Christmas, and and of course the rest is just your school shoes and the uniform, which is just khakis and long socks. That's it. It's sorted for the rest of the year, and then you go to school, and we didn't have a lot of fancy stuff um, like like no shopping. I mean, they, riding a car was a privilege for the youngsters. We walked, I mean, even to our cattle posts, we used to walk every Friday after school. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, if your uncle comes by or somebody who knows <laughs> who gives you a lift, That's true, you those are some of the things that, you know, now, the kids riding cars, uh, you know, they, they even drive cars. I mean, for us, it was, uh, I mean, we had an ice cream car that used to drive around that was a treat whenever it was in town. It used to come all the way from Francistown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you know, bread, you know, there's like a loaf of bread. That was some of the things that we, we didn't have access to until sort of late, um, late 80s, early 90s. You know, everything we had was all cooked on the fire and, you know, even stoves, even irons. We used to use uh, that iron with, you know, put coals mm-hmm. in and, so we didn't have a lot of uh, those privileges, you know. I, I remember the first time I ever watched television was in Francistown in uh, sort of the uh, early eighties, and back here in Malm, there wasn't any. I mean, we used to have uh, these missionary guys would come around schools, and then they'll project with a projector to show us those uh, videos, more sort of missionary. Christianity stuff, uh, mm-hmm. videos, and that's the closest we got to like oh movies or sort of yeah. entertainment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we played a lot of games, we, we, that we made ourselves, um, created competitions amongst us as boys, you know, getting those uh, uh, wild sage sticks and was to throw them, compete see who can throw mm-hmm. the furthest. So it was for me, I think it was a very comfortable and um, very. Close knit community, we ate from the same uh, uh dish. Um, we all used to sleep uh, out in the open as boys, and you know, we we shared and we all lived together. Mm. Very,
0: very communal,
1: very communal. I think that is uh, for me, it stands out mm. as today everybody's an individual, people keep to themselves, and you know, it's there's no that communal. Thing anymore? I think that's, that separates the time we're growing up and now. now.
0: And then, if you know, talking about this idea of what you guys got up to as kids, was don- were the donkeys around and as prevalent as they are now? Was I mean, was it as much of a donkey town back then as as it is? Or when did the donkeys start moving into Mao and sort of becoming associated so closely with Mal?
1: They were there, but um, uh, like I say, we we're raised by the community, and if you're seen riding. Sorry, and so's donkey, and then you get deported, you'd be apprehended and (laughs) And given some
0: slashes. Yeah,
1: you get slashes, but we still rode them every now and then when we could. Um, but they were more restricted to the cattle Mm posts. Horses would come around and would ride from the cattle posts or from the farms with a horse. Um, but what had happened in Maung, I think, after there's something that happened. Uh, I think in the 90s, after the cattle lung disease, mm-hmm. when you know people's cattle were all eradicated because of that lung disease, uh, the farming community in Ngamaland, which is where Maung is, is the capital, there was no farming activity at all. So there were a lot of donkeys, and I think that particular year they just grew in numbers um, because. There was no farming activity, and they became, you know, not as useful. And I think in that time when sort of crop farming started, the government did uh, now have a scheme to give farmers tractors to farm. You see, before they used to use oxen to farm, and and donkeys, and now you have tractors coming into the village, and people are like, well, why should I use a donkey to farm? when I've got a tractor. Mm -hmm. So they fell out of use and need, and they're generally slow as a mode of transport Mm -hmm. compared to the horse. So the numbers grew um, at the time. And I think also, then as time went on, a lot of uh, the owners of donkeys, some people acquired cars, and the technology started coming in, so the use of a donkey didn't become much uh, of any use at Mm -hmm. the time. So Mm -hmm. the numbers just grew because Mm -hmm. They were not not utilised as they were used to before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is. It's a it's an interesting um thing that people always associate with Malan is the donkeys and, and they they do still get right of way and the cows still get right of way, even though, you know, the town's changed in the ten years since I've lived here. There when I arrived in Malan, there was no traffic lights and now we have two sets and there was no street lights and now we have those. And our newest thing is our... Um, the, well, we've had a few new things, actually. We've got the bridge. I'm very glad that I lived in Mound when it was still a stop-start, one-way bridge. Um, for anyone who, who visits Mound now, if you drive um, between the road that comes in from Francis Town and the road that goes out to Kansi, you may pass um, Mound Lodge. And on that Mound Lodge bridge there it used to be a single track and so you, it was whoever was first at the bridge got right of way, and everybody else sat on the other side and waited and that was only built well, it was about 2015
1: yeah about then well, you know, something
0: well, like that That is now a proper dual dual bridge and that but the old bridge is still sitting there you can still see it um and i'm sure there are people who took cars over the old Matlepening Bridge and the old bridge as the old proper old bridge in Maan, and they probably really feel the same way, that, well, they remember using the old bridge and they're very glad that they lived here back then when they experienced that. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, now we've got our airport being worked on. It's looking a little bit more spiffy. Um, so another thing that always does fascinate me is the fact that the airport's so central to Maan. Um, and I think that maybe it's one of the things we don't capitalise on enough. Because somewhere like Kasani, you're going to land there. You can go from there to the bush. You can go from Kasani to the Suma, from Kasani into the park, and never even go through the town. But arriving in Maun, you don't even have to. You don't even have to spend a night. You can just leave your luggage somewhere, take a little one-hour wander, and you'll still experience Malan straight out of the airport. It's Definitely. right there in the middle of town.
1: I mean, there's a lot of craft shops, uh, restaurants. Mm. Uh, at your doorstep, uh, banks, I mean, it's, um, when there's it's, it's now two ATMs in a bank, yeah. in right at the yeah. airport, post office, uh, things like that.
0: Yeah, and as you um, say, I mean, it's how people used to get around here. And I think maybe people are a bit nervous when they arrive in Africa to go off on their own, but certainly in Milan, middle of the day, if you're getting off an international flight, there's absolutely no reason why you can't f- safely walk down the road and go for a little wonder, Explore explore Maun a little bit.
1: Definitely. I mean, it's all, most of the safari offices and operators are by the airport, which makes it easier access for safari operators mm. to their clients and their clients uh, to the operators.
0: So I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about Maun is that at the end of the day, it's a it's a place that's, a passport stamp for most people coming in, getting a stamp at the par- at the airport, and straight away getting onto a little plane and flying off to the bush. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, it would be great to have more people linger in own. One of the positive, s- sort of like the silver lining of COVID, is that now people need PCR tests, so that's going to be increasing the number of people spending a night in own because they're going to have to. That if they're not getting their tests done on the bush, they're going to have to come to Malm to get their tests done to leave.
1: You know, COVID has taught us a lot. I think it's a hard time and good opportunity to develop uh, local tourism mm-hmm. and take it to another level.
0: Well, and I think that's exactly it. It's a really valid point that not all tourists, visit, not everyone visiting Malm is a, a tourist. Some of them actually are people who are coming on business. Yeah. Uh, some people are part of a trip. I mean, we see the overland vehicles coming through. You see the self-drive vehicles coming through. I, I am probably the person growling at people in Woolworths because they're taking the last yogurt off the shelf, and, and it frustrates me as a local. <laughs> but, um, that you know, not everybody fits what is always sort of the typical tourist and that there, there are people who are coming in by road. And I think, as you say, with COVID, we're more likely to be having um people travelling slower mm. travelling cheaper um trying to spend more time in a place rather than trying to do three countries in one week who wants that many sticks up your nose? Um so I think that there will be some change and, and it's so yeah, so at the moment I mean you as um you've been running boat trips on the Boral. Um you basic you almost pioneered that as a an activity in terms of when yes, you started
1: for that for a local hotel, yeah, I, I pioneered that. Mm-hmm. Like, more organised and more official. I mean, uh, there was always guys in Matapane who anybody would pop in there and get it right. But I think professionally, right, I was the first one to pioneer with the local hotel and uh, it went on to other establishments.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a day trip?
1: It's a day trip you could do overnight, but for the type of clients in the hotels, either they come in for business or leisure, they would have a day or two that would want to do a trip like that. Um, And sometimes you'd find they would have been up camping. Like recently, I had clients from South Africa, Cape Town. Uh, They've been up camping in Moremu and then they had a day and so, well, they can't really, the elderly can't really go and spend the night uh, camping, but they went on a day trip on the Mm -hmm. boat. So, those sort of stuff.
0: And so what is all about? Involve, the prices, yeah, right? yeah. And that would be a like relatively early morning start on the boat and then going up into the wildlife areas?
1: Yeah. Quite early, live with a packed lunch and um, yeah, head up into the wildlife area. Depends on the guests. Sometimes you don't go that far, especially for birders. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the really good stuff is way past the Buffalo fence. Um, towards uh, Kutaba, mm-hmm. by then you're almost on the, the southern, southwestern part of Chiefs Island Exactly, and you start seeing
0: exactly. wildlife. And I think what's interesting about that is that that's how us who live in the town, that's how we experience the Delta. We don't yeah. go and fly into luxury five-star lodges. If um, you ask anyone a mile What are they doing on the weekend or how do they get into the bush? That's how they get into the bush is by by boat and on the river. So if you are going to do a river trip, there's a very good chance you're going to see local people doing the same thing and and enjoying the same experience.
1: Definitely. There's quite a lot. And I think it keeps my own residents to to have a good weekend, uh, socialise with friends and family, especially in these times now of COVID where we've been stuck In houses or in our yards, so Mm. it's a good opportunity to go out.
0: And of course, being out in nature and that kind of environment is really low. It's it's naturally socially distanced and it's low touch and all that kind of thing. You really are eliminating exposure to other people. And if you've got if you can organise a private trip and it's just you and your group on a boat, well then that's fantastic. Yeah,
1: it's great. And you know, also this water is not here forever. So what I find is is auto-operators and also generally among residents, they take advantage of this flood before mm. it goes because it's not going to stay long. So while it's here, you've got to get out there and enjoy it.
0: Exactly. And, and I, my last episode was with Mike, Dr. Mike Mary hudson and he was saying just how beautiful the lilies are this year. Ooh, yeah. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing. It's not just about the wildlife or the birds, but mm. also so scenic. So if you want to see the Okavango, that's a really great way of doing it is from the water. And then, of course, you can also see the Okavango from the air, Scenic
1: flights on option. Yep, they're there. We've got scenic flights uh, on a fixed wing with um, a forty-five to an hour rides. We've got also uh, on a helicopter, which is you know it's one product that's gaining momentum. People are. It's a little bit pricey, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, flying with the doors open and being able to be really low. So you
0: see quite a lot of. Fly very
1: low and good photographic opportunities, um, and it's just a complete different experience. And of course, yeah, we've got horse riding as well, just 45 minutes out of my from Royal Tree Lodge, which I think also is one product that sells. So horses are trained, you could you know, go on a horse even if you're non-rider or you know, first time experience. And for someone who cannot afford to go to Moremi, either for a day trip or overnight, you get pretty much most of the animals there. Of course, there's no elephants or lions, mm-hmm. But generally, you get to see a lot of general game, and it's a beautiful ride, very informative um, ride. So that's yeah, one of those. And then of course, we've talked about boat trips. Um, there's Thanks. more corals as well, mm-hmm. which I think, for me, you cannot come to the Akavango and not the
0: coral. Ride. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's some of those. And, um, and then yeah. you mentioned
0: Mirami day trips. That's another yeah. something that you offer. That's
1: another right? Mirami day trip um, okay. that you could do up there. It's also up early in the morning because you're trying to catch the wildlife while it's still you know, nice and cool. And it's a day trip, you back in the afternoon and take yeah. a pack lunch with you. So there's there's a lot to do. Um, you could also do cultural tours, um, which you can can combine with the Mukoro like Boro village uh, up there. Just taking a walk around the village, meeting the people on uh, one on one, and there's a lot of crafts uh, there that they make, and just sharing the, the the local knowledge and the culture of the people, and and seeing how the people live. I think. Yeah. From the feedback I got from from guests, it's just seeing how authentic it is. It's not yeah. it's not made up. No, exactly. We never even warned them that we're coming. We arrive and it's say, so, do you mind if we take a tour of the village? And they're quite happy because it's a community project also. They're quite happy to take you around and you experience the culture there.
0: Mm. And there's so many of these little spots that even me, somebody who's lived in Mound for 10 years, I still have never actually necessarily stopped at and gone in. I might have done it... Um, if I'm with somebody who's familiar with it being something to stop and see. Um, but I've just recently heard that there's actually now somebody who's formalizing this. They, it's called Your Botswana Experience, and it's going to be exactly what you, you've you mentioned now, yeah. but with, with local Botswana hosts who work as tour guides. And it will be a three-hour tour that people can do from Maun, and it will be... You know what's available that day. What's in the happening in the neighbourhood mm. at the at the time? What who does that host know in the in the village and in the town that they can go and visit and take the guests to see and meet? So very um, very community led, rather than it being well, it's a Monday and we are in Matlapane. It's very much dependent on who they. And I think that that's exactly the right way of approaching something like this and saying to people. If you want to get out into the community, you actually need to go with someone from the community, and just go and travel around with them. And they, mm-hmm. there's some kind of structure. You know, you're going to have a good experience. But it's also a matter of let's see where this takes us. You know, yeah. maybe there's you like, see some old men playing a game underneath a tree, and you can stop and join them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's intuitive rather than, well, it's been ten minutes now. We move on to the next thing. You know.
1: There's, there's a lot, you know, like Kota meetings. If there's any Kotla meeting happening on that day, it's mm. a good opportunity to see what happens at the Kotla,
0: because
1: mm. um, they don't doesn't happen every day.
0: No, exactly.
1: So, you know, it's, it's knowing about activities like that. Mm. Um, there's sometimes, you know, music happening at the Ngaba Museum, it's a good opportunity to see what happens there. You know, of course, there's a few sort of artifacts on display there. Um, that you can learn a little bit about
0: mom. Exactly and again if you're going to go and look at baskets for example um, go and look at baskets with a host who can explain what those baskets mean to them as a cultural symbol and um, can help bridge the Um, communication gap between you as a visitor and this person as a weaver as a basket weaver and ask the questions why are you choosing that design what does this design mean to you why is this basket today being done with this pattern and all these kind of things there's so many there's so many questions to ask with the people Mm -hmm. of mount but it's very hard to actually get access to them Mm -hmm. Um, and and i think with it being a tourist town where tourists activities tends to be, like we've talked about, airport and fly in, fly out, and very wildlife-focused. It's, it's an interesting thing, changing people's mentality towards being warmer to a foreigner. I mean, me, I'll talk about, I'll even acknowledge that I'm, as I said, I growl when somebody takes the last yogurt off the shelf. So it's exactly that, it's being able to say, well, actually, I don't need to growl at them. And instead, what can I do to introduce them to my town and help them understand what man offers? Um and of course there's also you know there's like this. there's another new Okavanga craft brewery the Old Sports Bar premises um and I interviewed Graham in episode 12 and we spoke about that and again that's another activity that's coming up you can go and do a 2 hour tour of the brewery taste beer that's been locally brewed from local water and millet that was grown
1: From the local communities. In in
0: Botswana, and benefits directly back to the people of the country.
1: And addressing the human-wildlife conflict.
0: Yeah.
1: um, Because now it encourages people to farm Mm -hmm. correctly and be able to protect their crops, knowing that they have value. Yeah, exactly. Because before, you you could farm either cattle or crops, but the market, there was nowhere to take um, your produce to the market. Mm -hmm. Even if it was there, the prices were not good or not even consistent. So now it's a good thing. And it's a good good stop by, it's, it's along the main highway to Game Reserve, and so it's worth a, a visit to mm-hmm. go and experience.
0: Any other um, places to, that you think people coming through mountains try and see, or, or any suggestions you have in terms of food experiences or lodges and accommodation that they should consider staying? Have you got any recommendations?
1: There's of recent now, um, there's one restaurant at the Harvey Museum, I think it's with the local cuisine and just the setup, and It's uh, being part of the museum and it's housed in one of the oldest buildings in Mound mm. uh,
0: Which is great, it's a reason for the building to remain. We're, yes. We're losing quite a lot of our old buildings exactly. as Mound develops and so it's, it's great to see one of the original buildings being retained.
1: Yeah, and of course a walk to the old bridge uh, which has been redone. Um, but you know least you know this is where it was, and there's still mm-hmm. all photos of it, so you can have an idea
0: and it's a pedestrian bridge, so it's a nice yeah. it is and it's in a beautiful spot on the river it's, it's it is a very nice walk it
1: is. And it's good to see how uh, they've used um, more eco-friendly lighting, like the solar light, mm. um, you know, which is, we aspire to go green. Yeah, so, And yeah, also, if you to want see. to see
0: how people of Mount live, that's a great little area to do a walk, because yes. you'll see, on if you go on the weekend, you'll see families sitting and having a picnic, might like get
1: a, a bit a rowdy, stroll, depending yeah. on how many
0: beers everyone's had, but <laughs> you're going to see you know, how people. the local people interact with their environment and the river and enjoy their environment.
1: Exactly. Um, and it's a popular place for other activities. I've seen people you know, doing wedding, um, photo shoots there. It gives you the opportunity to see a local wedding um, yeah, exactly. set up. And, you know, one of the things that we could develop um, it's it's, this, it's the old bridge by Mang Lodge. I mean, it's got a mm-hmm. lot of history um, that you know we could share. It's very very important, and yeah, I mean it's a and you know some of the Mang old buildings I think they're worth visiting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Talking really about the bridges,
0: it. which was the first bridge that was built?
1: It was first from there. Matlapane.
0: Yeah. And then after Penang so but when it was. Because, just think about it, trying to explain this to someone listening, if you wanted to access Tran- Francis Town, you arrive from Francis Town on the wrong side of the river.
1: Yes, so actually... So how did you cross
0: into the Kotla side of the river? The actually... Province? Was there a drift?
1: Um, before the bridge there was a drift, I think mm. in the 1950-something Riley you know, they had this little pontoon that they used. Okay. Um, actually, it was, was man driven. And they okay. had his car, his first car, from one side to the other, to the Riley side. And of course, the Riley's Hotel is an iconic place. And he, he set that up uh, as a place for these hunters to stop by for a cold beer at the time, which was quite handy after you've traveled mm-hmm. for almost 35 hours <laughs> mm-hmm. to get some out. But the old Francistown Maung road entered Maung from the Matlapaning area.
0: Okay.
1: That is where the Hmong, uh, Francis Francistown road So that's why the
0: Matlapaning bridge was the bridge?
1: So the first bridge that would have been built would be the Matlapaning. Okay. Uh, which was locally built and then later on this was built, I'm told, by the Germans. Okay. Um, so that was the first one to gain access into Maung, and then out of Maung into Moremi. And then later on, this one came. Which, which one? The, the, the,
0: the Mound Lodge one.
1: Yes, right. the Mound Lodge one. Okay.
0: And then the Riley's Bridge is the newest of them?
1: Uh, the newest of them is the Matlapaneng one. The proper oh, open, the main open, Maclopanin yeah, Maclopanin because the one. we built this, and then we still okay. had that old one. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as it was getting dilapidated, they built the Matlapaneng Bridge. Okay, mm-hmm. okay.
0: Yeah, so as you say, that Mound Lodge bridge, although it's not as old as the Matlapanen bridge, it's still an interesting story. And the fact is that it was, like I said earlier, it was being used as the only access at that crossing yeah. um, until six, seven years ago as a single, single lane bridge.
1: And for students, I mean, it's, it wasn't very old time or in the olden times back, but I think for most of uh, students growing up and going to a senior secondary school, that was the only access. The Bridge was quite far away, you needed to drive all the way down. But this one was positioned in such a way that the most from the Khotla and the surrounding homesteads and going across the river here in Bosija uh, Khotla, which is just across the bridge. Most people lived around there, you know, just after Mong Lodge. Anything further, was just bush. Mm. And like where the new descending is, it was just cattle posts, uh, farmlands. The, the village didn't go far, just past um, that sort of Caltex area and then a little bit of a Hmong old industrial.
0: Okay.
1: Um, that was it. Anything beyond that was just bush. And then going that side, not a lot towards uh, that engine, and
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: also bushed and to the park. There it was all over the bush. So this one connected the main central part of Maum and the side of uh, uh, of Mau.
0: Yes, it was very
1: small. So people from anywhere around Tito, from the main Kotla, Moeti area, actually That Maum Lodge Bridge was the main access was, yeah, between the kids two. Kids going to school, us visiting families here in Boseja, you'd use the same bridge mm. to go across, yeah. Whereas sometimes, personally, when I was growing up, one of the memories <laughs> I remember, I was so scared, especially when the river was so high, and pushing in there with so much force. Sometimes I didn't want to look on the side. I just went across the bridge. because <laughs> it's really daunting. I was thinking, and some kids, you know, it's, it's happened that some kids will try and push others, trying to play, mm. but they didn't realize Failed, how dangerous yeah. it was. Mm. So, I think in general it provided access, but it was also very scary for most of us. (laughs) There was lots of water, heavy, heavy flow uh, of water through that bridge at the time.
0: Well, it's great that it's been left there, but as you say, it's not really highlighted to any visitor. I mean, if you were driving from Francistown and you took the first, left at the first robots and you crossed that bridge, you wouldn't even know that the old bridge was next to you and that you could actually park and take a walk down it. Well, this is the thing, is that I think this is what makes Maun a fascinating place. Um, When I first moved, I first experienced Maun in 2002 and the river was dry. So the first time I came to Maun, I got to um, Santa Cornerside by crossing at the stadium and then didn't come back until 2004 and then the river was up. Um, and and I, so I've seen Mount change over the years, um, and I mean there's certain things that have not changed at all. I mean, well, we've got the, the airport's changing now, but that was that remained very very much the same for a very long time. Um, you know, the old mall area, new mall area, both of those areas have remained pretty much consistent over the time I've known Mao in almost 20 years. But at the same time. It is an interesting place where things are changing and there is development and there is growth and it's very organic. It's it just happens in the direction it does and it's there's you know, there's there's some things that are very clever and strategic, like Okavango Craft Brewery, but then there are other things that just sort of merge and mould and something happens and I mean if you look at the Nabi Museum for example, that place has undergone so many versions of itself mm-hmm. and different different being used for different purposes and having different focuses over the years, and 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 so and so on goes. You know, things people develop something, they build a new structure, things get renovated, and and it just slowly morphs into something new and, and keeps growing. And for the people who are maybe not here long enough to see it, or who just it is it is it's a strange place. It's a hard place to try and get the essence of. Mm. Um, If you just come through, you're just going to see badly behaved taxis, a lot of jostling on the streets, donkeys cutting through the traffic, (laughs) cows having the right of way, uh, traffic lights that are only suggestions and not really always followed to the T. But for those of us who are at home, we wouldn't have it any other way.
1: I must say... What I see is not growing rapidly, but it is. Uh, to my knowledge, now there's two malls going up: one opposite Engine and Busija, mm. and then one opposite Caltex in Busija. Um, and Busija. Uh, and something also exciting, which I think is going to be a tourist draw card and it's locals as well as the Mount Science Park, uh, which has been launched officially. And the host was at the hotel now. The you know the, the tribe and the People from Gamelin and Botswana they know about it. It's a very big project, so which is going to happen at the Maung Educational Park. So we'll see that uh, you know boost Maung tourism and just also the economy of Maung at large. Mm. Uh, it is certainly growing. Um, sometimes I ask myself, do we really want so much growth uh, with all these malls and because it's it's Maung is it's an international village. And then that feel, I think that's what makes it special. Um, it's kind of there is a balance.
0: Yeah, it's to sort it. of like what you were talking about as a child, how that like interconnectedness and community was such an important part of the place, and it still exists in the fact that people know people. Yeah. And as you say, at what point does it get so big or too busy that people become city people yeah. instead of village people? Because we're definitely still village
1: people. It is. We can relate. Um, it's, it's, it's a close-knit um, community. And, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing place. I mean, it's one of the things I know, you know, one would think about a place, where to go and how safe it is. I still find Hmong safe in some ways. You know, one friend of mine comes from the south. You see all this furniture that's made and left on the road and the wood. It says Jackson's down south you wouldn't leave stuff like this. It'll mm. be gone in no time. But here in Hmong you can yeah, see. Yeah, somebody all has this. his
0: fire bundles there. He just puts a yeah. plastic even top on his phone number. Yeah, and even furniture. You know, people live their furniture. There. And the thing that amazes me, and it, look it's across Botswana, but I you know I obviously see it here as the kids just on their own down the side of the road. Five year old, six years old just off they go.
1: It is. It is a safe place, and that's how we grew up. I mean, we we're not worried about being kidnapped or anything happening. I mean, we we could walk. I mean, we used to live there by the safalana area. We would walk all the way down past Old Mall to the river, play, and then we walk back. We used to walk from there, visit my auntie, buying gummi turtle. I mean, a very peaceful place, and just just play sometimes they're having their shirt on. And just, <laughs> you just walk in there with no shoes, with the little shorts. It was very peaceful and I think people were happy, mm. and we, we were close, I mean, it's a, the kids felt safe to go out and play, now we keep the kids indoors, mm. they can't even touch mud or anything, you know, they can't, they can't do stuff that the kids do.
0: And um, when we talk about growth, there's obviously the infrastructure growth, but there's also the fact that the population of the village slash town mm-hmm. is starting to get to the point that we're actually almost, I think, a town by population. And um, where are most of the people who've come to man coming from?
1: It's difficult to say, but uh, from my experience and having interacted with many different people, especially in the old and New Desané, in the Matlapaneng area, it's people from all walks of life. Um, some, I mean, Maung is a growing um, village, probably into a town status or a city status. Well, actually, there's a new... I uh, think from the council, uh, I was reading now, the, the biggest plan is to make Maung uh, the third um, oh, really? largest city in Botswana. So you
0: have our own Francis town, Maung? Maung.
1: So that, that is the where we're going. And, and there's a lot of uh, earmarked developments. Um, and given the population, it will be able to sustain this as a city, the way it's growing. So they're from all walks of life, really, uh, From from my experience, all over Botswana. It's become, you know, the Habarone back then where people left the village to look for opportunity in the city. Now it's the other way around. Most of the people from the south and from all over, they're coming to Hmong for opportunities. I mean, there's a lot. There's people, you know, they're buying land or getting land and developing it into housing, into guest houses, you know, being a tourist area also, you no, know, there's opportunities. Accommodation in Maung. There's not a lot of hotels. Quite a few decent hotels, and we need more accommodation. You know, one of the pigment is you could host big events, uh, like other countries do. Mm.
0: Big, conferences, we don't, big conferences, big conferences. But
1: yeah, we, we don't have the capacity in terms of accommodation. Yeah, I mean, at the, we can't. The can't even
0: host um, Botswana Travel and Tourism. No, you can't.
1: The capacity is not there. Not only accommodation, but it's also the transport system um, and the road infrastructure. So I think it'll come with time. But it's interesting, it's a place of interest at the moment and everybody's flocking here for economic opportunities. And I think... Over the years, there was very little known about Maung. It's certainly on the map. so mm. everybody's like, "Wow, let's go and see."
0: But you compare that to when your grandfather was an m p for the entire northern Botswana as a single m mm. p and you compare that to now well, what you're talking about, which is you know developing Maung as, as the third city of Botswana, and that that's that's that is significant change mm. over the decades.,
1: oh, it is yeah. they' it's, it's, it's certainly come a long way um, and and a lot has happened. And some of the, given our government system, also some of these plans that are happening now were planned over the last 20, 30 years ago and only implemented now because that's how forward thinking you know, the government is. It's like, okay, in such and such a year, we're going to build a school there, we're going to build a hospital, we're going to develop that road. So it's been really carefully planned, and I think we've seen more. Or development coming into Hmong, since it was declared a planning area before it wasn't. Mm. I mean, people could just build everywhere, and there was no planning. And certainly, the Bosiger side is something; it's the place now I mean, because it's 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 thoroughly planned, it's properly planned. Whereas the old mount side is difficult to plan. You know, it's,
0: it's yeah, I, I live on down one of those roads that has no name, and you know, turn left at the fork. <laughs> 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 if you pass this. Tree, you've gone too far.
1: <laughs> but it's 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 nice in a way. I think this is what I'm saying. It's an international village, and who wants to to live in a more structured? I mean, I've been to some mm-hmm. fancy places in Cape Town, and that yeah, it's a concrete jungle. It's <laughs> a, it's, here, here is authentic, mm-hmm. and and I think the people who want to live out here like it the way it is. Yeah,
0: I think that's a very that's a very good point. Is that at the end of the day, um, the people who are in Maun like it the way it is, and it might not every traveler is going to see why we like it. They might look at it and go, But surely you'd love a little bit more of this or that, but we like it the way it is. So, and as considering it's the people of Mound who ultimately are going to determine the direction of the d- development and investment and everything else in the town, um, let's hope we can keep the balance of what we like about it, but also. <laughs> Make it, you know, appealing to to visitors, so that we do start getting more visitors actually spending a night here and not mm. just heading through the airport and straight back on another plane.
1: Yeah, certainly.
0: And as you say, it's not just only focused on foreign visitors, but expanding the different kinds of visitors that we're getting here, and um, and just see, you know, what our as you called it, our international where our international village goes. Mm. international village is certainly more polite than donkey town (laughs) or what's the other one is more drinking town was a safari problem (laughs) there's also
1: in some of the old literature they call it a the sort of a wild west type of a place that's how they 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 looked at it yeah it's like there's guns all over with the safari hunters and you know i remember in, in before independence and after independence it used to just get wild i mean it's probably one of the district commissioner wants to send uh, some senior person to go and calm down things here so there's, there's a lot of the cowboy <laughs> yeah. thing going on you know? <laughs> and there are a
0: lot of people who still love to think that they live in the wild west out here and behave in that way and i think that's what makes Man fun it people don't take themselves too seriously here. <laughs> And we all love the fact that we, you know, life's not, it's not comfortable. You've got to, you've got to have a certain amount of resilience and be yeah. a little bit tough to live out here. Exactly, yeah. You've got to have a sense of humor. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's still there. I mean, it's, uh, and I think Mao people are doing great jobs. People like the Mao lingo. Um, there's some guys who, yeah, I've put it up now on social media and other media is just making jokes and their little videos, yeah. Um, you know, with Mao Lingo. The
0: colloquials, yeah. colloquialisms, colloquial dress. Yeah. Colloquial. Then, you know, there's like, you know, new, as you're talking about the, the arts, new musicians coming out, yeah. new comedians Stand-up coming out. Stand up
1: comedians, is quite big. I mean, there's the another poets guy. The area. What do you call him? Modidima. He's mm. very popular. Uh, yeah, in Gaps. Uh, he's doing very good. Uh, he's, he's got great sense of humor. There's some lady, I think, up in Soronga called Rekonde. She's also doing very well. I mean, that's-
0: well, Moa, I certainly enjoy the fact that you and I are both co nights, as we say it in English. We both live here in Momochin. And, um, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing your insights about our home. Are you ready for the snapshot session? Sure. All right, here we go. This is, now, we, now we're pulling on your years of professional guiding and tourism expertise. Uh, what is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why?
1: Uh, certainly for me, well there's many, but binoculars help you gain access to your surrounding but you cannot also not leave here without capturing the memories. I mean the camera it will come handy,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: first and foremost is your binoculars. The binoculars mm-hmm.
0: doesn't matter if it's a day trip, a scenic flight, whatever it is, have your binos with you. Eh? Yes. How oh, fantastic. Which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor visits in, in Botswana?
1: Certainly Maun, the Akavama Delta. Mm.
0: Mm. Any specific part of the Delta? I mean, look, we've had this whole episode about Malum, so I love the fact that you said Malum. But if somebody wants to see the Delta, where how would you say is the best way to see it?
1: First intro, I think Mokoro from one of the local communities and have a taste... And then of course, as we know, Moremi is a popular destination, so a trip down there is worth mm, it. Mm.
0: Fantastic. One book, website, resource everyone coming to Botswana should know about?
1: There's Lonely Planet, there's Discover Botswana, uh, those are quite handy. And then there's also Botswana Tourism Organization website. Uh, it's very, very handy and helpful with a list of operators and what to do uh, in Botswana and particularly here in Mao.
0: Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Top sundowner, destination, drink or piece of advice to have a great sunset?
1: Nothing beats the sundown on the, Bora River. the Boro River.
0: <laughs> Boro. That, that's your sunset spot, is it? Yeah, that on takes, Bora that Bora takes us into
1: the Akavango. Uh, mm. So you've got to be at the right place at the right time. Are mm-hmm. they coming from the delta, the inner delta, down to Maung or going up? You know, all so you'll send
0: down a boat mm-hmm. cruise. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So this one, I don't think the answer is going to be Mang, but it might be. But if you had a weekend to explore locally, where would you head to?
1: Weekend to explore locally. There's so many places. Uh, I, I'd, I'd go down to Tordillo. I'll go down and see the Panhandle. It's a very appealing place. I mean, it's quite often it's it's forgotten. There's amazing cultures. Um, There's still um, people that are keeping their tradition. I mean, it's seeing people on a sledge there. And for me, it's, some people don't mm. even really know what it is. And you can see how it's life in its natural form, and it's timeless. Yeah,
0: yeah. and this is going back to the place where. What those are the places that were once the, the, the capitals of Gamiland before Man became us. Exactly. So yeah. If you want to really understand the history, go on a trip up there and go and visit Tsao and Kumari and Toteng so and all, the, yeah. all these places that yeah. were the previous capitals.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's also there's still the royal cemetery uh, there for Puma and Tsao and uh, it's it's worth visit to see who are the key players, who are the people, and where they are laid to rest. I and mean, it it will give you a nice History mm-hmm. and it's still wild in in most parts. I mean, you've got the Enabu River, um, along Dodeing, those areas. Great bedding, you get some sort of wildlife up there.
0: Mm-hmm. But you also have to be brave enough to tackle the road. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are all those potholes and uh, yeah, sometimes you get quite a good number of elephants along that road. So. Besides dealing with the bedroom, we're also dealing with the wildlife. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dodging elephants and potholes. Yeah. Well, I think that a panhandle in Shikawi um, episode is going to have to be on the cards. But thank you so much for sharing your insights about Maun and um, this place we call home. And it was really great to have you here today. And I just apologize about the fact that we had to do this twice. We say it was so nice we did it twice.
1: Thank you, I hope so
0: (laughs) Thank you so much Pleasure Well, of endurance travel it is always so great to sit and have a conversation face to face and I always enjoy Moa's company unfortunately we had to do this episode twice because for the very first time I had a real gremlin in my podcast and I lost the interview learned the lesson certainly won't make the same mistake again but unfortunately it meant that Moa had to give me his time again so it's taken a while to get this episode redone and back out again Every time I interview somebody, I really appreciate the time they give me and to have to ask somebody to redo it because I've lost the recording was gutting, but it's a great chat and um, it's slightly different one this time around, but same level of insight into life and Maun and the history of Maun, which doesn't really get shared very much. I do hope that this episode, if you have listened, makes you want to spend a little bit more time in this quirky town that I call home and that um, it gives you a little bit of insight into what there is available to do and how to spend 24 hours in Mount if you are here. Thank you for listening and for taking the next step in this journey with me. Goodbye.